I'm John Banther, and this is Classical Breakdown. From WETA Classical in Washington, we're your guide to classical music. In this episode, I'm joined by John Andrea Nozeda, music director of the National Symphony Orchestra. He is one of today's most sought-after conductors for some of the biggest orchestras and opera houses. We talk about his life in music, from his first conducting assignments to an upcoming festival with the NSO. He also answers some rapid-fire questions and shares how he fosters creativity off the podium. Welcome to the Classical Breakdown Podcast, John Andrea Nozeda. Thank you so much for taking some time to talk with me. It's a pleasure. Thank you to you. You've been music director of the National Symphony Orchestra since 2017. Six years later, does it feel like it's just flown by so far? You know, it's been an incredible journey, and we are continuing in this journey. I feel very privileged and very proud to be here because the orchestra is really playing well. Always has been a great orchestra, but there is an element of expectation that uh, we could create together. And also the, the fact that uh, most of the time we, we can create a sort of expanded chamber music on stage. So it's symphonic, but everybody is paying attention and listening to each other. That has been probably one of the greatest results we, we got together. And we will continue in this direction. And for you, you're spending more time here now in Washington, um, like at a time and in one stretch. Has it started to feel like a second home for you when you land here? Definitely, definitely. I First of all, I love the city, the structure, the architecture, and the fact that uh, there is a lot of green, of course, the, the river and everything. But uh, I feel uh, very well. So I, it's... Uh, not explicable, no? You, you, you go in one place and you feel better than in another. Here is one of the places I feel very welcome and I feel very well. And it was so nice to hear you. I think last time we spoke, you had mentioned getting off the plane, getting into the car, and WETA Classical was on, and it was your own recording. <laughs> oh, yes. I could spot it immediately, and the driver couldn't believe. said, oh, that is me. What do you mean, that is me? You are here. Yeah, no, the, the radio. Don't worry about it. That's <laughs> <laughs> so let's go back in time a little bit. Mm. Did you grow up in a musical family? What were your early musical experiences like? I grew up uh, not in a professional <laughs> musical family, but uh, because my father uh, is an amateur uh, choir conductor. So I had an upright piano at home, and uh, my mom uh, loves, loves music. She's not a musician. And uh, my brother uh, is not a musician, but has fantastic ear, fantastic sensibility for music. So I had a very nice uh, environment where to grow in. And piano, that was your first instrument? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I started uh, even before I started to read uh, the letters. I, when I was five, I could read uh, in, uh, in, the, in the treble key and in the bass uh, all, all the notes before I was able to read the words. Mm. Did there come a moment for you where you experienced something musically growing up as you're um, learning piano that cemented it for you that this is, this is what I have to do? I don't remember specific moments uh, because uh, it's difficult to say that has been the moment when I decided to, to become a musician. Music, uh, more and more, has become part of my life. I didn't even realize it was taking such a big part of me. But of course, there are moments uh, when I heard, uh, I was still a student in conservatorio, a recital played by Sviatoslav Richter with all the Chopin etude and the Chopin ballads, and that was a revelatory, changing life experience. I still remember concerts in, uh, in Santa Cecilia, in La Scala, talking about my, my youth. So I have very good memories in, in my country, attending concerts, and also uh, I've been lucky enough that all the, my fellow, my friends, Everybody of them, or the major part of them, are making their living with music, through music, in a very uh, strong position. So uh, one is a concertmeister in Santa Cecilia, one is principal cello in La Scala, one is principal flute in La Scala. And we were all growing, you know, in the same conservatorio. We were friends. We were going out to play football, soccer. And, uh, and to see that all that generation could really establish uh, itself just uh, in the music and uh, 
we fulfilled our dreams. The, our dreams became true. <laughs> That's wonderful to hear. And it sounds like, yeah, you, music just started growing and growing and you were maybe, you know, you were already deeply in it before you, you quite realized. Yeah, that is true. I, before I realized I, I want to become a musician, probably I, find, I found myself already in the music. Yeah. Even without knowing if uh, I would express myself better in piano, in composing, in musicology or in conducting, because I wanted to explore everything. I was very, I still am very curious. You're curious, you like to explore. Was there anything else growing up besides music before you knew that that was what you were going to do? Was there another, no. something else you wanted to do? I, I, I was uh, a sport guy. For a couple of years, uh, I was thinking to, not to move in that direction, but to, to take more seriously. But after that, I decided that uh, music was much more fulfilling and more satisfying for me. But uh, I tried always to read books. Uh, to I mean, I'm always uh, attracted by beauty in terms of art, what, what art can convey, you know? Whatever it means, maybe it's not beauty, maybe it's a truth, maybe it's a drama, maybe it's tragic. You cannot call a tragedy beautiful. But uh, all this, uh, to, to, to feed myself uh, uh, with this kind of uh, artistic elements. And when did conducting start growing into that? Pretty late. I was uh, 27 when I started to wow. take lessons. Because, yeah, at the time... I was uh, still uh, studying composing, and uh, of course, uh, at that time, I was already a pianist because I got the degree much before. I was playing a lot of uh, chamber music, also some some concerts, and uh, but uh, basically, I also started to make Liederabend, so uh, concert with with singers, and that helped a lot in my. Uh, knowledge uh, about uh, singing, a technique mm. of singing. So, but I didn't do on purpose. I just uh, enjoyed. When I, I played chamber music, a quartet, trios with strings, with the winds, I always was curious just to find out, uh, asking my friends, how you do this sound, uh, the flatterzung? Even before knowing I would become a conductor five or six years later, I was always, oh, oh let me uh, listen to this sound on the string. Oh, this is flautando sul tasto. Wow. And the, the, the difference of vibrato. I was always, actually, I was playing quartet with piano, quintet with piano, but always asking. Uh, that uh, allowed me to put a uh, lot of information that I keep in my pocket. And when is needed, <laughs> I can take out from it. <laughs> but everything came pretty naturally. It was not, uh, was intense but not incredibly difficult i found also natural as a as a journey into the music so many musicians myself included can tell you for instance like the first piece that i played with an orchestra it was such a um, a massive experience conducting do you remember the first piece like that you conducted maybe not the first time with your friends conducting but the first time in front of an orchestra on stage with an audience oh i remember what i played mm. of course uh, was a uh, a strange program, <laughs> incredibly difficult. Uh, sometimes if I think, I, I, I think how adventurous and stupid I was to accept that program. You know, the, I remember perfectly the program. It was uh, Toccata for Piano and Orchestra by Respighi. Not an easy piece, beautiful. And the second piece was uh, Birds by Respighi, not easy. And the second half was uh, a small opera by Malipiero, Sior Todoro Brontolone. So I accepted it was good but before that uh, that was my first concert with an audience but before that with the same orchestra uh, six months uh, more or less roughly before I was sent my uh, from my Italian teacher Donato Renzetti to go to this orchestra to make a rehearsal for him because it was a Sunday rehearsal after that the concert was Friday so why to go for an established conductor on Sunday to have three days off after that so I said Gian Andrea do you mind to go there to you make the first reading of Scottish Symphony by Mendelssohn that was the moment where I stood in front of a professional orchestra it was a rehearsal it was not audience I had the responsibility to make a good job for my teacher Maestro Renzetti and that was uh, inspiring because I could see that uh, things were working. I mean, you do something, you have a, re a result, a response. Uh, I didn't have any experience, of course, but uh, that was the moment where I said to myself, you know, maybe, maybe this is my way. But was not the, the definitive step because at that time I was still playing the piano, making concerts, uh, still studying composition in a conservatorium. 
But a uh, few months later, that, that happened uh, September 1993. But in uh, 94, in March, in August, I won two conducting uh, competition. Not even after the first winning, I thought, oh, I... No, I had to wait the second one. After the second, I said, look, John Andrea, the, sto the, the life is telling you you should do this. <laughs> And I, that I made the decision. I, I tried for a while to keep playing and conducting, but I, I had to, to quit <laughs> playing. I mean, I still play, but for my personal enjoyment. <laughs> but how fortuitous, your first concert in, in front of an orchestra in, in your late 20s, you're playing... Respeaking, you're playing orchestral music and you're playing opera. And now today you're conducting big orchestras and big opera houses, which is not something a lot of conductors really get to do in their career. And maybe you've been doing it since the first concert. Yeah, I have to say I'm more uh, symphonic repertoire oriented simply because I've always listened to symphonic uh, music more than opera. My first really big account meeting, uh, just the, the, where I sensed, I sensed the, the importance of opera was uh, when I heard uh, uh, Otello in uh, the opening of La Scala with Carlos Kleiber, was in the late 70s, and still the ride, the television in Italy was really televised, uh, the broadcasting and televised live was incredible. And that Otello, you know, I, I started to think, wow, This is a great art form. Before I just, okay, I know it, I like. But you know, that with, uh, you know, Mirella Freni, Placido Domingo, Piero Cappuccilli, Kleiber conducting, wow. La Scala in television, I was really blown away. And in the next year was with La Bohème, same opening. It was uh, Pavarotti, Freni, uh, Giaurov, so that kind of cast. Mm -hmm. And you know when uh, arrived the last uh, Sono andati fingevo di dormire Sono andati fingevo di dormire Perché volli con te solo restare I thought, oh, this is uh, unvaluable This is one of the greatest moments And so in those two years I started And after that I, I started to, to buy recording of Don Giovanni Nozze di Figaro, Così fan tutte And poco a poco, little by little, I went But now I cannot uh, really make a decision If I like more one of the other I think... Uh, I love both. <laughs> Too curious about what else is out there. Yeah, also because when I do a lot of opera, because it happens now being a music director in the Opera House in Zurich, in the, in the theater there, that sometimes I, I do two months only opera. And I miss the, 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 the symphony, the symphonic repertoire. Like I will do this time, three months of symphonic repertoire, I started to miss opera. I started to miss the, the vocal element. Mm. Uh, but that keeps, uh, this keeps my curiosity very alive. So I always uh, want to go to the other part and try to mm. uh, bring energy, uh, take energy from, from those different fields. Coming back to more present day, yeah. I'm wondering about how you prepare some material. Say there's a concert next month or two months or whatever, and it's Beethoven Symphony Number no. Five. Okay, mm -hmm. we know we've We've heard this a million times. We've played it a million times. You know, we've recorded it. How is your preparation for that? Is that any different than a newer piece, maybe something you haven't played? Are you going back to the score, or is it more maybe sitting and just really thinking about certain interpretations or both, ideas? Both. I, I think if, if uh, the piece uh, is familiar and you already conducted several times, uh, of course, you start to think uh, about the piece, even without the score in front of you, but... Uh, the score is always uh, revelatory because you, especially in the great pieces, you always find something that uh, didn't catch your attention before. At a certain point, you see that element and changes uh, partially your, your vision of that moment. Sometimes you can expand in a movement or in the symphony. And uh, it's always nice to go back to the score because like it's like a Bible, it's like a holy scripture you have you have always to refer to that more than your imagination of course if i am on the plane i don't have the score i know that i have to conduct beethoven five in one month's time of course i think about i think about the relation of tempo the kind of sound i i wish i would like to achieve what kind of relationships of tempo how the second movement should follow the first also because um, studying with uh, myung bun chung has been one of my 
teachers in a master class in Siena, Academia Chigiana, he was uh, really obsessed where to found the climaxes, the climax. Where, where is the climax in the first movement? Okay. Where is the climax in the second, the third, the fourth? After that, a, a, among these four climaxes, which is the most important? And you know, that uh, focus, uh, your energy, how to shape everything. But sometimes the climaxes changed uh, when you reapproach the score because you find something different, because you are different, because you, you are, we are never the same. It almost sounds like a great book or a movie, but you're on both sides of it. You have to, you read it again, you watch it again, always discovering something new. That's great for yourself, but then you have to turn around and, and give this interpretation and bring everyone together with that unified vision. Yeah, is a, you, you made a, the perfect example. It's the same when you reread a book. Maybe you read a book, uh, you read a book when you were 20, and now you read a book, uh, I'm 58. Of course, you recognize, you remember the story, but your attention goes to different elements, different uh, details. And that gives you a different idea. And if you have to make a speech about the same novel, you will speak differently. And how to convey, getting back to music, how to convey, not a new idea, because it's not a new idea, but new sensibility about uh, a piece and to have everybody on board. And that is the other part of the conducting activity. A lot of our classical breakdown listeners, they love... They love the music, they listen to the radio, they listen to recordings, and um, they like to go to concerts, but they're still, a lot of them consider themselves new. They, they're, they're learning, maybe like you, they're also curious. This is a new field for them. I think for a lot of people, if you ask the average person on the street, you know, what is a conductor you know, of an orchestra, they say, oh yeah, that's, that's the person they stand in front of the orchestra at a concert. You know, they, they wave their arms around, they keep the beat for the orchestra. When in reality, we know, we know it's, a, it's much different. For you, or maybe your experience or opinion, what is maybe one of the most important aspects of, of being a conductor? To be able to relate with people. That, that is incredible. But how to communicate? Because you can get anything if you ask in the right way. And uh, not the power, but the respect you get from the orchestra is because they realize you spend time with the score. Mm-hmm. That is clear. So if uh, if you bring something, not necessarily new, but that shows that you spend time and you know the material you are going to conduct, and you ask in the right way, you have your imagination of sound. Everything starts from the sound that the score inspires to you, in your inner ear. When I look at score, I already imagine the sound I mean, imagine the scores is telling me uh, because you you know the, from composition, the structure, the phrasing, um, the form, uh, but also imagination of uh, timbre, uh, the, the the combination of different instruments. How t- not only to balance them, but how to come. It's like uh, to put uh, fantastic ingredients uh, in a certain way to create a recipe. So you have fantastic uh, pepper, you have a fantastic whatever, you have a vegetable, how to put together to create something uh, tasteful. That is what uh, motivate people and take them on board with you. Not because uh, I have the best possible idea about that piece, but it's an option because I spend time with the score so I can say something. I think uh, that is the, the preparation to be a musician, first. And second, how you can find the way to get everybody on board in the same journey. It doesn't matter how great your interpretation of something is if you can't communicate that or get people to um, work to together. Embrace, to embrace that, uh, yeah. and uh, yeah, Because you have always to consider that uh, you have in front uh, many people and uh, each of them individually, they can have uh, their own idea about the piece. And maybe some of the ideas is are better than mine, but we have to really to, to put our talent, our individual talent, to a service of the other's talent, all together to serve the music. And a lot of this communication, it's verbal in a sense that um, you're in rehearsal, you stop, okay, this section, we need yeah. a little bit more here, mm-hmm. more here, or something like that. But um, a lot of it is also nonverbal, right? How you are 
expressing even with just the eyebrows, the eyes, the, um, the mouth, the face, whatever. Body language is important. Body language. Yeah, body language is important. Uh, how you look, uh, how you inspire, how you, you know. But in, uh, in a way, being Italian uh, made my life easier because we talk with hands. So yes. That's, that's a good answer. I, I mean, sometimes when uh, some uh, journalists ask me, oh, but what is the Italian school of conducting? I say the street. Because you go there, you can make uh, potentially in Napoli, but can be mostly in the south of Italy. In Naples, they don't know, but potentially everybody of them can be an Oscar winner prize because they act, they communicate, they can sing. It's, it's, it's incredible how, how they, they can be expressive, expressive their thoughts through gestures. And uh, we have that. We have that. Sometimes we are even exaggerating in that. A little too much. <laughs> A little bit too much. But uh, if you can control, if you can just uh, discipline that, uh, is a fantastic tool to, to become a conductor that has to convey ideas through gestures, basically. Something you said a moment ago, I think may surprise some people when it comes to well, how complex conducting really is. And we can only, you know, really talk about some surface level stuff. But when you said, when you're looking at it, like maybe a symphony, what's the climax here? What's it in this movement or maybe over here? We're talking about a time span that may be up to an hour. There may be thousands of notes between each of these points, yeah. but it's also like being a director in a movie. You have to manage the pace, uh, the timing and all of this. So it fits together because it's also not just about volume. If you put all of the notes in a computer with the right volume on each note, even doing crescendos, it's not going to sound natural or anything like um, the real thing. It is true. It has to be natural, it has to be organic. And uh, for instance, we have so many indications like forte, piano. But what forte means? How is the intensity of the frequencies or just the, the loudness of forte? Okay, forte is less uh, loud and fortissimo. Okay, but how much? Uh, uh, well, now the, how loud is fortissimo? Uh, oh, oh, how loud fortissimo? Oh, fortissimo in the trombone is the same fortissimo you can get in the clarinet? No. So how, in a professional orchestra, a great orchestra, they already know how, they know how to adjust. But uh, it's incredible how is still a human act to perform. It's something connected with humanity. It's connected with the way of phrasing. It's connected to the way you bring things together. And everybody, in certain moments, you have the feeling that everybody has the heartbeat in the same moment. It's like, boom. It, is, it can happen, one. But you have, the, maybe it's not true, but you, you feel that everybody is there living that moment like a, a jewel, just boom. And you want to keep that moment. The biggest frustration of a conductor is when you reach a certain moment of ecstatic beauty and you don't want even to move because you are afraid to spoil it, to ruin it, but you have to go on. Yes. And, and the risk is that you have to, to continue, to be consistent with the beauty. And you know, it's, it's not easy. This is all intense. It's a lot of work. It's a lot of preparation. Mm -hmm. You're not even taking a break flying sometimes. You're thinking about you know, this, these next programs. What do you do to unwind? You can't keep this all inside all the time, right? You have to do something to relax, to let this pressure go. Oh, but I, I don't want even to give the impression that uh, I'm always... That most of the time I'm connected with scores, music, learning, listening. Uh, and uh, honestly, what, what is happening is that music is always in your head. But that doesn't uh, avoid me to, to go to have a walk, to read a book, uh, to experience... Uh, uh, good food, good wine. But I mean, not only, for instance, I'm, I'm passionate about wine, also the way the wine is done, the way some grapes uh, uh, works better if you do a blend with other grapes, uh, where, for instance, a certain grape in a different soil or in a different environment can create a different kind of wine because there is more acidity or more. And after that, the, the, the technique to, to get a wine. So it's, it's fantastic. It's a World. It is a world that is not just I like to drink wine. I like to to experience the 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 process to get to that point that at the end is so satisfying or less satisfying. So I think uh, I have uh, I, I love sports. Uh, now I 
Unfortunately, I do less, but I walk a lot. That is my way to to keep uh, as much as I can fit. I I watch very carefully what I eat because it's important. We are most of the time uh, when I say we, uh, Lucia, my wife, and myself on the road or on the plane. So you, you have also to to be very disciplined. And saying that by an Italian is a big uh, goal, but I learned how to get discipline. <laughs> it's very easy to eat bad on the road. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, uh, you know, when you are, for instance, when we started, when I started, oh, you want to try this, you want to try that, blah, blah, stomach ache. And after that, you have to stop. No, you have to, to be, yeah, you have to watch after yourself. <laughs> but uh, but I have moments of uh, relaxation and uh, some movie. I read. I have also curiosity. For instance, uh, now I just finished two books by John Steinbeck because I think... Uh, I want to learn also from the big artists of the past uh, what makes a country. Or if I do Russian music, uh, I, I want to to read, uh, I already read uh, the Tolstoy, Dostoevsky. Now I want to, to, to read, uh, I bought Master and Margarita, the Bulgakov, and um, the Dr. Zivago, the Pasternak. So it's my next two books, or, or something Italian. Because I like to be inspired. You, you have to feed your your soul, your spirit. Otherwise, you become dry. You can you give, you give, you give, you give. At a certain point, you don't have anything to give anymore. And what is the interest for an orchestra just to have someone empty in front? What has been a really special or maybe sentimental performance for you? Maybe not the biggest thing, but something that just meant a lot to you that maybe others might not... Um may not know. Oh, there have been uh, some performances, uh, basically what I call uh, changing life experience, I got with uh, attending a concert more than conducting a concert with great colleagues, uh, with great uh, players, soloists, singers. But if I have to name a few of, uh, I, I still remember incredible Wilhelm Tell with the Teatro Regio, Torino, the Opera House, where I served as music director for 11 years until 2018. And we played, we were touring in America for dates. We played a concert version, a concert performance of Wilhelm Tell at Carnegie Hall, December 2014. At the end of that concert, I thought, oh, we, we did something good. Things I mean, came together. Yeah. We did something valuable, meaningful for everybody, not only for me, not for my ego or for the... No, it was, it was all together, singers, orchestra, chorus, myself, audience. We were really on the same, uh, on the same frequencies. It was incredible. At the end, I, I felt, wow, that has been good. And uh, talking about uh, symphonic repertoire, yes, I have... Uh, I have uh, a memory connected to here because I conducted several times Mahler 4, but I think the account we gave here a season ago, a season with Mahler 4 was particularly moving and satisfying. The orchestra played, uh, they played like angels. I mean, really, uh, as professionals. And the, the soprano was, was stupendous. And, and I could find a good pace, not too fast. You know, when, when you, Attend the con uh, you you, play, you you conduct a concert. You say, "Wow, was not difficult to pace the piece. Everything seems natural, Come, coming one thing after the other, very organic." That uh, at the end you you say, "Oh, but it's not difficult to conduct." It actually it is, but uh, it comes naturally. Uh, that was one of those performances. And I think those are experiences we don't take for granted because anytime you go on a stage, your aim is to have a wonderful, impactful concert. Yeah. But sometimes, and it happens maybe in a way where, like you said, um, with music, you were already in it before you realized with these special moments, they come and they're gone before you even know it. You, you it, They happen, it's just um, almost uncontrollable sometimes, this natural organic flow that just happens when, for whatever reason, that night, 
things clicked in a very special way. But that when it happens is a miracle, I have to say, is becoming uh, out of the blue. Of course, you need preparation. You need a serious rehearsal. You need to make everything, all the means, uh, just to allow something magic to happen in the performance. But you know, in a moment, uh, in a particular performance, that happens, it happens one of these moments. And uh, you have to repeat the concert the day after, and uh, you try to get that moment again, it's not there. It's not there. Maybe it comes in a different, or maybe it doesn't come. But you know, this gives me a conviction that is not perfection what I aim to achieve. Perfection is not what is the last goal. The, the, the last goal is to have a, a better knowledge of what you are doing. If you have a better knowledge and you put all the effort you can, maybe you get to perfection. Maybe. Mm-hmm. Because otherwise you, you, you live your life always frustrated because you cannot be perfect. <laughs> and, but, but this aim to, to have more knowledge, more preparation, to dig more inside in the music, to get a better relation with your artist in the orchestra, that creates, uh, put together all the elements to maybe create something special in some moments completely unexpected. But when you get those moments, everybody realizes that that moment arrives. And that's the importance, that's the impact of live music. That's why hundreds of years later, we're still just playing live on stages because these moments, they can happen. But... uh... That, that's why I, I always think from the audience point of view, when I am audience, no, I go to attend the concert because I go to attend concert of my colleagues. I'm not that one that uh, I do my, my job after that. <laughs> I, I, it's too much. It's enough. No, no, I go. I like. I like music. I'm mad about that, obsessed. I, I love it. And uh, you always go to a concert uh, and you expect something special. Maybe it's a fantastic concert, but that moment uh, didn't come. So that's why I go again, because I want to find out. So that uh, encouraged me to go as much as I can, because it's not guaranteed that you get the magic moment. But uh, if you don't get it, it doesn't mean that uh, a performance is not worth it. It's been worth it, but I still wanted to have that, uh, how you call the the shivers on your on your neck. Oof. Like goosebumps. Say, yeah. Goosebumps, yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. Peledoka, we say in Italian, goosebumps, ah. yeah. And that's great advice. I think, um, I remember when I was in school, it was just um, go to every concert. In some music school, there's concerts every single day in all these halls. Yeah. And just go to every single one because you don't know what you may witness, you know, you don't know what you might learn in just, mm-hmm. even just a few moments of music. Absolutely, but also gives, uh, as a performer, a big responsibility because sometimes, you know, you, when you conduct uh, around 100 performances a year, sometimes you try to make difference. Oh, that is an important concert because he's in this place. Oh, that I can take a little bit easier. No, give always everything because even in that place, uh, it could be, a kid or a teenager that will be the David Oistrak or uh, Jefim Bronfman or Stravinsky or Copland or Giuseppe Verdi of the future. I mean, <laughs> you never know. So you have to give the maximum because you have always to, to respect that maybe in that moment there, there will be one much bigger than you that will make the history of the music. It was attending that concert that you should not... Uh, uh, discourage him or her to continue. So it's, uh, you have always to give the maximum. There is no first league, second league uh, concert hall or first league, second league audience. Everybody uh, uh, deserve, everybody of this audience deserve the maximum of our respect. And those moments that we love, that's organic and everything clicks, it doesn't have to be in a big hall. It can be with three people in a living room. It may be on the street. Absolutely. Yeah, these moments. Absolutely, absolutely. Would you like to do some rapid-fire questions? You can answer in one word, two words, however you like. I like to say yes, no. Well, <laughs> there's more than yes, no. And some no of, these... of course, of course, I'm joking. <laughs> so these start off 
musically, but we don't end there. Okay. What's your favorite key? Hmm. I like uh, B minor. I like uh, D flat major, which is a C sharp major, but in flat uh, is better. If you could only conduct one more symphony, which one would it be? Only one. Only one. That's it. E finita, finita la commedia after that. Yeah, la commedia finita, okay. Probably I would like to conduct again uh, Mother 5. And if you had just one more opera to conduct? Don Carlo, four acts. So the Italian version. Which season of the year do you prefer? Autumn. Who would you rather be stuck in an elevator with? Mozart or Beethoven? Both. Both? Yeah, okay, in the expect- same elevator, because I would like them to, to fight. <laughs> and I just to be a spectator. <laughs> but you're still going to be in this box. Of course, in the same, same, just the listening, without, without interfering in the conversation. Oh, I thought you meant physically, like boxing. No, boxing, no, I don't think they, they, they will. But uh, you have to put two different composers. With, with them, I will stay in the same elevator with both. Your favorite sport? Oh, soccer. What was your first job? Selling books. Selling books. In a bicycle. Just going, uh, traveling in bicycle. Traveling bicycle book salesman. Yeah. I like that. Because I had a small percentage of the books, I, and that allowed me to go on vacation. Your favorite food? Oh, okay. Pasta, pizza. I'm very Italian, yeah. Ris- no, risotto. Maybe, maybe in front. Risotto, risotto, risotto. What non-classical music do you like to listen to? I was a fan of the soft rock in the late 70s and 80s. But there, there, is a, there are some pop singers that are particularly good and some good authors, uh, composers, for, uh, for also in Italy, also in Italy. Cats or dogs? Both. I, I, I had a cat. Uh, I've never had a dog, but I, I, I love dogs. I, I love animals. I think they are living, uh, you know, they, 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 are, they need all our respect. I agree. And we'll get into the Beethoven and American Masters Festival series right after this. Classical Breakdown, your guide to classical music, is made possible by WETA Classical. Join us for the music and insightful commentary anytime, day or night. You can stream the music online at wetaclassical.org or in the WETA Classical app. It's free in the App Store. So let's talk about the Beethoven and American Masters Festival that you're doing with the National Symphony Orchestra this month. What can you tell us about it? I love the idea to to put something very well known, like uh, the Beethoven's cycle, so, which is uh, probably the iconic, the symphonic cycle, the nine symphonies, along with uh, less uh, less uh, familiar repertoire. And being in America and being in Washington, I like the idea to explore the music uh, by George Walker, who composed five symphonias. Uh, and uh, it's incredible because uh, when you put together Beethoven Symphony, one Walker Symphonia, it's incredible how one can take advantage of the presence of the other. So to listen to Beethoven after George Walker gives you a different perspective how to listen to Beethoven. You take less for granted. And Walker acquires a sort of uh, imprimatur because uh, he's performed with Beethoven, a sort of importance. It's incredible. Uh, One serves the other. One enlightens the other. So what is that different perspective or maybe new way of listening to Beethoven and Walker juxtaposed like this? Because a lot of these concerts, for instance, one with George Walker, starts with the Beethoven Symphony, then it's George Walker Symphonia, then at the end, uh, another Beethoven Symphony. I think a, a performance uh, to be a narration. You have to narrate a story. You can narrate a story within one piece or within the concert using all the pieces as uh, pieces, uh, chapters of the story. Uh, It's incredible how the symphonic world that starts before Beethoven with Haydn and Mozart that makes this kind of uh, 
celebration, monumental achievement with Beethoven, had a different way to develop, if you consider Schubert, Schumann, Brahms, uh, and after that going to Mahler, Bruckner, Shostakovich, Prokofiev, and what else? After that you have uh, Copland, you have Stravinsky composing Symphony in Three Movements, Symphony in C, and after that George Walker. So the, the world is the same, but is just uh, explored from different angles. So what means a symphonic? It means just a relationship between instruments and the use you make with them. Besides the structure, the craftsmanship of the architecture of the music that changes from composer to composer. So what I find interesting in Walker is that the symphonic skill of composing how to use the orchestra is incredibly inspired with uh, these big uh, tensions that sometimes uh, they go down to some, not calmness, but some moment of lyricism. There is, I find, there is a need of singing, even in George Walker. Most of the time denied because you are not able to sing in a certain period because otherwise you are taken for a retro, for a retrospective. But there is a need of singing. Mm. Uh, I like that. And what I like in Beethoven is the propulsive engine that there is in his music. This kind of inevitable way of uh, to find the pace, to find this kind of uh, inexorable uh, way of uh, performing it. What are some similarities in how you hear these two composers? The obsession they both have for the structure for the precision. You cannot... There is music that allows you to be less precise, uh, just uh, between brackets. Uh, you have always to be precise, but allows you to go more with waves, waves of sound. Wagner, for instance, just to give an example. Mm-hmm. But there are... There is music uh, from several composers that they don't allow... This music doesn't allow you to... You have to, to, to stay in the architecture, in in the building, in something that has to find its value by the fact that the structure is solid, is there. And we're not even talking about structure like musically, like a sonata form, just as No, no, a structure as, as a building, because there yeah. is no form, sonata form in Walker. There is no. There is no. In Beethoven, yes, very strongly. <laughs> Beethoven was, was a genius in to put together, even in the same movement, uh, Sonata form, variations, and fugue, the finale of uh, Eroica, mm-hmm. is a rondo with variations, with fugues, all together in a, in a structure sonata form with a big coda. That is insane. It's just craziness. So, but the, the, the control they both have of the musical material in terms of making, if you just get the precision, you have 80% of the work done. The rest, 20%, is just uh, talent and miracle and gift. Uh, if you get, you know, to get a good performance, uh, 90% quality, most of the people can get there. To get to the 95%, uh, it costs a lot. 98%, it costs wet. Uh, to get to the 10%, it costs blood. Mm-hmm. Uh, you have to be able to, to give that blood sometimes. And sometimes you don't even get to that point. But, uh, you know, and those composers, uh, Beethoven and Walker, uh, gives me the impression that they really wanted to get there. And they deserve all our energy to try to keep up with them, knowing that we, I will never get to that high. I try all the time. Better knowledge, not perfection, but better knowledge, <laughs> more profound. And you're recording not just all of the Beethoven symphonies, but all the George Walker symphonias as well. Have you learned any maybe new perspectives on Beethoven or the other, or maybe something, a new realization or something in music by doing these two projects? I think it's uh, from the point of view of the live performance is more valuable because you can see the music one close to the other. When you get to the recording, you have Beethoven recording and Walker recording. But of course, from my perspective, Naturally, in itself, uh, you change your approach to Beethoven, simply because when I did the last cycle was 2011, and now I'm doing is 2023. 
So I'm 12 years older, 12 years of, uh, I lived uh, several experiences. I'm a different person. I cannot say better or worse. I just older <laughs> and different. Uh, so uh, the, when you approach uh, even something that you learned before, you did, always you find a different way to, to approach because uh, the music speaks differently, not because the music is different, but because you are different. Can you imagine the music, how fragile could be in allowing itself to just generously give all that it has to you, to be managed, to be discovered. It's so fragile, it's there, it's in a paper. You have to take care to love it. And the element of love makes you to discover always different things. And that's probably changes the perspective because, as I said, uh, you are a different person. And there's also other composers on this series, like, I believe, William Grant Still. Yep, there is uh, William, uh, William Grant Still. And we did already one symphony in, uh, in, December, in uh, January 2022. And now we do the second symphony uh, by William Grant Still. And also, it's a completely different way of composing. I mean, is the you feel the America soil just nurturing the two composers? You feel that, but the way they go is uh, different. And I like I like differences. I think the world is fantastic because there are many differences. I think that is a richness of the world. I don't, I'm not afraid about differences. And this festival, it started in part last year, right? Yeah. And we have this year. Is there going to be a further continuation of this with either different composers or something yeah, along the same lines? Why not? We can we can plan. I liked this idea. It was not mine. Huh? I wanted to do uh, separately the things. That was, uh, I have to give credits to Nigel Boone just to, to put together. I thought it was a great idea. Also because, you know, Beethoven cycles have been done all over the world many times, no? And just to, the fact that you add this element, being in the capital of the United States in Washington with the National Symphony Orchestra to put together uh, American composers and uh, particularly one Washingtonian like George Walker made perfect sense. He didn't think uh, uh, about that before. And I think it adds this extra element of interest and curiosity. And it seems important that we record composers like George Walker and, and William Grant Still and uh, Florence Price and others because you've mentioned before as recordings are our legacy that uh, that we leave behind. And it's also a marker of what's important to us in our day and time and what um, we thought was valuable enough to record for future generations, because at some point in the future, who knows when, a symphony by Beethoven will be played for the last time. But you know, sometimes I, I think the same. Not about music, about people. Who will tell me that is the last time I will see that person? You never know. No. no. Or sometimes uh, when I go in the uh, subway in uh, Milano, because I always go, I like the subway. I mean, the, you say underground, the subway, no? Subway, yes. Subway, yeah. Uh, and you, you, you see people that you know that you will see this person just that moment. And it seems to me that our lives, which are like stripes, in that moment, in those five minutes, they just touch after that. It's fantastic because you have the feeling you are connected with people you don't know who they are. But for a moment, you are in the same place you have the same travel from one station stop to the other. That sometimes I also uh, expand to the music. Who will tell me that is the last time I conducted that symphony? Maybe uh, Mahler uh, 7 or Mahler 9 or uh, Rusalka opera by Dvorak. Maybe I conducted once, I will never conduct again. So. It's, so it's important to have some records on that because it's a legacy. It's a legacy, but I always think a recording like a photographs, a picture. It's just a frozen image of what we did that day, yes. that moment. 
But it's important to have that photographs, even to recognize that uh, you got older looking a picture of 20 years ago. <laughs> and you say, oh, I had still hair. <laughs> Hearing you talk about that even just now makes me think that these are very important qualities to being a conductor. One, the curiosity, but also the openness to the experiences. You see someone on the subway, those are 30 seconds and it's gone. And a lot of these moments that we've talked about, like your last time you play something or, or whatever, again, these are moments that come and go before we know them, before we know what's happened the last time you, uh, you play something. So having that curiosity, that welcoming of experiences of just in the moment is important because so many moments happen organically, maybe unexpected in a performance where even if someone plays something almost actually wrong, but in a way that really sparks actually something else in the music or a line in a slightly different way, and you can take that and go with it. And it seems without that, without that flexibility or curiosity, you don't get that extra 5% that you were talking about. Yeah, but that is precisely what, uh, what is the live performance. The, in the rehearsal, you don't have to finish the cooking of the dish. You know, sometimes the last touch or maybe a mistake, a, a grain, an extra grain of pepper or black pepper. Oh, it changed your perception of the taste of the food. So you, 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 you put in the rehearsal, I try always to put the structure of the performance, not to... to uh, give the impression of the players that they don't know in which direction we go. But to go from uh, Milan to Rome, you can do via Bologna or you can do via Genoa. The important thing is to get from Milano to Rome. A, the live performance takes you either there or there. At a certain point, you just go together in Florence and you continue to Rome. I think that the, the, the starting point, the ending point, but in, in between, you, you have to be able also to allow players when they have a solo to have the imagination to do something. And you take that because maybe that idea is much better than mine. Yeah, it would be a stupid performance not to take, a performance not to take it, a starting from then, from that moment to reshape slightly without losing the idea that I have to go from Milan to Rome <laughs> because that is the, the direction we take. There is always an element of improvisation in the performance and you cannot rehearse that because otherwise we'd not be surprise or improvisation. Saving that little extra percent. Extra percent. Yeah. In the Washington Post recently, we saw an article about a foundation mm. and that um, you've been instrumental in getting these instruments um, through the foundation and actually into the players, into the hands of musicians from the National Symphony Orchestra. I think now there's eight instruments, seven violins, one viola, keeping it under wraps at first, understandably so. Now we, uh, we do know. That seems like a sizable amount to me. Seven violins, one viola. I understand there's, there's more coming. With these instruments, were these things that you heard and liked along the way for the last decade? Or were it specifically, I like how these things, I hear, I like this sound from this violin. This one, I love this. It will fit with this one, actually. Was there a cohesive nature to it? This is an interest I cultivated for longer. As I told, uh, I, I, I like what is excellence coming from my country, you know, design, uh, fashion, food, winemaking. And what better than violin making, the luthier? Hey, Classical Breakdown listeners, I just wanted to jump in for a second and explain that last word, luthier, because it's probably new for most people. To put it simply, a luthier is a person who works on or builds wooden instruments with strings like we find in the orchestra, the violin, the viola, cello, and bass. Italy, as he will explain, is pretty unmatched when it comes to this. Okay, back to Nuzeda. What better than violin making the luthier? I mean, this universally recognized, worldwide recognized that the Italian uterary, uh, I can say just two names, Stradivari, Guarneri del Gesù. Okay, in the world of the, of the music, everybody recognized that. Not, even, not only in the, if you say Stradivari, you say, oh, it's violin. Uh, so, but also, uh, having said that, uh, I, I started to be curious uh, 
about other luthiers or what the Cremonese school was inspiring to the Mantuan school or why the Tyrol uh, Steiner was uh, uh, infecting and uh, just inspiring the violin making in Venice. After that, uh, how they found together Uh, not a common way because still the instruments uh, from Venice, uh, from Cremona sounds differently and how Napoli or uh, Naples or Rome, Florence or Genoa or Torino or Milano, so how they developed. And it's incredible because uh, a violin is a violin. I mean, it's made with wood and strings and vibration, but it's incredible how can be inspiring for the sound making and instruments like that can... Uh, can motivate an artist, a player, and can cooperate in creating a world sound in an orchestra. And that always fascinated me. Also because I, uh, I was shocked once when I conducted one of my concerts with the NHK Symphony Orchestra in Tokyo. Before I decided to start to uh, collect instruments, i saw at least, because I, could, I can recognize, I can discover the sound, at least 20, 25 Italian instruments, but of great quality in NHK Symphony Orchestra. And I started to think, there is no one orchestra in Italy with 25 instruments of that, those. So why, what we can do? And I tried at the beginning to involve uh, some uh, entrepreneurs, some donors, but I, I was not successful also because it was a long time ago. Uh, maybe now I have more credibility, I don't know. But uh, I started. I started myself and uh, I gave the instruments to the concertmeister of the Opera House in Torino where I was music director in that, uh, that uh, moment. And I discovered how was uplifting for, for him to have an instrument that allowed him to express him better himself in the sound world and I kept this idea and uh, I thought uh, in this journey together with the National Symphony Orchestra how to make the orchestra to sound uh, and uh, even to, to develop our way of playing together why I cannot help why should not help uh, uh, giving instruments uh, to a very capable hands because I'm not a string player, so if I just hold an instrument, I said, oh, it's beautiful, yes. but it's a piece of wood. In, a, in a capable hands, uh, uh, becomes a piece of art that helps you as an artist to express better yourself. Oh, yeah. I think that is the major idea. I think that last point is, as you said, it, it's, it's so important, able to express themselves because these instruments... These are these are tools. Someone had to study. I mean, there's something science about it. Even they created these instruments. But it goes it goes beyond that, in terms of Stradivarius made you know a lot of instruments. Some of them became maybe like that organic flow from a live concert, just perfectly together. And for musicians, these become tools, but then an extension of your own body. Absolutely. And being able to have nothing in between you and then the sound coming out. So where it is just singing. I think uh, yeah, yeah, music yeah. is singing. Yeah. And having the ability to just convey what you're wanting to uh, play just the same way as if you were to, um, you know, but read a book. But it's absolutely true. It become, you become one thing with, with, with your instrument, yeah. But also, there is uh, another reason. I think uh, music uh, gave, uh, still is giving me a lot of things, a lot of... Uh, satisfaction, a lot of uh, magic moments, and also a, a good way of living. But so there is a point where an, an artist, or, or at least talking about myself, I feel the need uh, for the new generation of uh, conductors to hand over what I learned, for the next generation of orchestral player to spend time with youth orchestra, Sinandali Festival, the Pan-Caucasian Youth Orchestra, the European Union Youth Orchestra, the Young Orchestra in Italy, Youth Orchestra of Italy, Youth Orchestra of Spain. I try to save always one week in my every season just to spend time with them, just to hand over. And also, why not to pay back a little bit through violins what music gave me during all these years. And just to, it's important. There is a moment when you start to give, not only to take. What's next for you? What do you have coming up? What are you looking forward to? In life? In life or in music, something next season? Maybe something, maybe you're going oh, somewhere nice this summer. Uh, yeah, no, it's uh, next season uh, will be 
crucially important for the any moment is important. I, I hate the idea of events. Everything should be an event. No, everything should be great, not an event. <laughs> but next season is particularly important for the NSO because uh, we embark in a tour, in the European tour, uh, three countries, Spain, uh, Germany, and Italy. And Italy would be at the Teatro La Scala, the theater of my own city. And of course, uh, we have uh, another visit before the tour in uh, Europe at Carnegie Hall. Uh, we have uh, for, uh, we established to have uh, a opera in concert every season, starting from the next one. So I, next one I will conduct Otello. And we established this tradition that one opera in concert every season with the NSO. And of course, uh, the release of the Beethoven and George Walker, George Walker Symphony and Beethoven uh, Symphonies, the cycle. And uh, yeah, I think uh, we have uh, many, many good uh, goals in front of us to achieve. And uh, it's exciting. As a human being, you know, you always try to be a little bit better than yesterday. And you try to be a little bit better tomorrow than today. It's always very difficult as a reason of frustration, but that is the better husband, better friend, better conductor, better brother, better son. It sounds a little bit philosophical, but you know, it's not. <laughs> it's, uh, it goes down to, to the root, to be concrete, to be a better person. Well, thank you so much, John Andre and Ozeda, for, for sharing so much. I think we've, we've said a lot here. Thank you so much to you, and thanks to the WTA, which is a fantastic radio station. Thanks for listening to Classical Breakdown, your guide to classical music. This episode was recorded at the John F. Kennedy Center for the Performing Arts by WETA Classical's Charles Lawson. For more information on this episode, visit the show notes page at classicalbreakdown.org. You can send me comments and episode ideas to classicalbreakdown at weta.org. And if you enjoyed this episode, leave a review in your podcast app. I'm John Banther. Thanks for listening to Classical Breakdown from WETA Classical. <laughs>